0: Good afternoon and welcome to RAIN's podcast, Creating and Maintaining a Healthy Corporate Culture. I'm Serena Vash, RAIN's General Counsel and Executive Director of Governance, Risk, and Compliance here at RAIN. In recent years, culture has increasingly become a top corporate governance priority. Research and real world experience suggest a healthy corporate culture can be leveraged as a tangible risk management tool that can help firms spend smarter and be more responsive to current and growing regulatory trends. Investments in corporate culture can be a more efficient way to enhance risk management and compliance rather than increasing personnel or technology. In this podcast, Rain sits down with Azish Filabi, Executive Director of Ethical Systems to discuss what drives a healthy corporate culture and best practices for creating and maintaining that culture. Through research and collaboration with the best academics in the field, Azish dedicates her time to helping businesses assess and promote ethical behavior and culture in their organizations. She is also an adjunct professor at the NYU Stern School of Business. Previously, Azish was an assistant VP and ethics officer and lawyer in the Banking Supervision and Markets Division at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. She was also an associate at the New York City-based law firm of Curtis Mallet. She is active in the New York State Bar Association as an officer in the international section and founded the microfinance and financial inclusion committee of the section. Welcome, Azish. Thanks so much, Serena. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Avish, can you tell us a little bit about Ethical Systems and your mission at Ethical Systems? Yes, absolutely. So Ethical Systems was founded about uh, about five years ago
1: by Professor Jonathan Haidt. Um, Professor Haidt is a social psychologist, and when he first came to, to Stern from UVA to teach the Professional Responsibility and Ethics class here, He realized that there's so much uh, fantastic information about the social science of ethics available within the academic literature, but that there needed to be a more efficient way for business to access this information consistently. And part of that challenge was the bottleneck of the academic resources not being physically available to the business audience. Um, because they're often behind paywalls, but also the academic literature isn't really written for the business audience. So the initial product of Ethical Systems was the research tab that you'll see on on the website, um, ethicalsystems.org. And the idea was to bring together the fantastic collaborators who are uh, also social scientists from various business schools to really address this challenge of how do we make this information more accessible to business. Um, and so he started Ethical Systems as a research collaboration. We're um, thankful to be housed at the NYU Stern School of Business. And over time, we realized that in order to have businesses more deeply engage with the social science research, we should be developing tools and techniques to, to conduct outreach directly uh, with organizations, but also to collect research from organizations. So that's um, a lot of what I focus my time on, and uh, currently the mission of the organization is to find, organi- find companies with which we can do research and find collaborative research opportunities where academics and business together can tackle some of the ethical behavioral challenges that we see uh, within society
0: today. So can you just give us a sense of some of the academics that you've collaborated with at your time? at ethical systems? Absolutely. So um, our steering committee consists
1: of Professor Linda Trevino, who also is the head of our working group on ethical culture, um, ethical culture measurement in particular. Um, Anton Brunsel is uh, uh, also a behavioral and social scientist, um, author of the uh, book Blind Spots with Max Bazerman, both of whom are collaborators with ethical systems. Um, David Mayer as well. Uh, professor at the University of Michigan, the Ross School of Business, who writes articles on social and behavioral science um, and ethical leadership in particular and conducts his research in that area as well. Um, We have about 22 collaborators. We're really fortunate to be able to to draw on resources from uh, the the various uh, business schools in in this unique way, Um, and oftentimes the, the collaborations are about connecting their their learnings through conferences either here at NYU or with other partner organizations. Uh, for example, we uh, recently launched an MOU with the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. Um, and Professor Celia Moore and I will do um, events, um, we'll do presentations at their annual events on culture measurement in particular. Um, So there's a lot of ways that I personally and we at Ethical Systems together collaborate with the various professors based on their research interests and um, what's also going on in the ethics space within business.
0: Terrific. we're here today to talk about how companies can create a healthy culture, and if I understand correctly, you, in, in connection with your work at Ethical Systems, just won an award um, and presented at the OECD's conference in Paris. I understand you presented on measuring corporate culture. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, your research in that regard and the award that you, that you won from OECD and your presentation there in Paris?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, And I very much appreciate Rain's interest on ethical culture and how to foster healthy cultures within organizations Um, and the opportunity to talk to you in in more detail about what the research findings we've had in this area. Um, So I guess to dig in on on culture measurements and and the framework in particular, um, we started the culture measurement working group that I mentioned Linda Shabina is heading. Um, initially, because we felt that as the regulators, particularly in banking and financial services, were focusing on this question of what is the role of culture within financial services and how can we strengthen cultures of integrity to improve ethical behavior. Um, there was a lot of questions of well, what, what do we mean by ethical culture? And Well, you can't really measure culture anyway, so you know, why bother going down that path? Um, But, of course, uh, for us as an organization with the social uh, psychologists who are collaborators, um, they do indeed believe that you can measure culture, and they've had um, validated measures within academia that they've been using in, in various contexts. So we decided to bring together the um, the leading researchers on these various components of ethical culture, um, again, headed by Professor Linda Trevino, who has been studying the informal and formal systems of ethics within organizations from a culture perspective. I mention that because the the culture framework that we created and were um, lucky enough to to win an award at the OECD Research Edge um, competition this year, uh, which was just about uh, two weeks ago um, in Paris, Um, the the research began by pulling validated measures from academic um, literature, but then putting them together and running pilot tests within two companies in order to see how we can further improve uh, the validation of these measures, but also develop a, a framework that would be, uh, that would help the industries understand better what we mean by ethics and culture within an organization. Um, so we had a, a researcher that we're really lucky to be able to work with, um, Katerina Bulgarella, um, who is also a social psychologist. Um, she developed a framework for us. Um, that you can see listed on the the Ethical Systems website. And and Serena, I'm happy to talk about the framework in detail if you think that's, um, that's of interest for your audience at this point.
0: You know, I, I do, and I, I reading your report, um, I'm quoting you now as saying, culture is a complex and multi-system framework that must be aligned to encourage ethical behavior. So can you talk a little bit about the formal and informal elements of an organization um, that encourage ethical behavior? Yes, absolutely. Um, so the formal and informal
1: elements and that construct um, comes from Linda Trevino's research. Um, and the idea here is that culture is the t- typically thought of and how, um, how I think about it is the, the mindsets and beliefs of individuals within an organization. Um, so that's the informal side of it. How do we think about the norms of daily behavior? How do we think about the language that people use and the euphemisms that they use with respect to um, various processes, for example? Uh, but then on the formal side, you have your ethics and compliance systems, you have your performance management systems. Um, the formal side is that which you can see, right? Um, so it's the um, actual pay structures and the incentive structures that have been put in place to try to motivate employees. Um, and the interplay between those formal and informal elements is the alignment that we talk about with respect to ethical culture. Um, so when cultures are misaligned, and I think the easiest example is to think about, you know, tone at the top, clearly very important. You really need to have the CEO consistently speaking about the importance of ethics and culture within the organization. But if that's misaligned, um, and you can think of examples where the tone at the top is really strong, but everyone knows that and the day-to-day behavior will veer from that because there's so much pressure to get out Um, to improve quarterly results, or there's so much pressure to sell beyond that which is feasible within, let's say, a monthly construct. Um, So those are the types of examples where you see that there's misalignment, which can really breed cynicism and perceptions of unfairness within an organization, which the research shows actually will lead to unethical
0: behavior. Talk a little bit about your culture framework, um, and specifically, um, if you can lay out the framework for our listeners, and talk about what you call negative element definitions or disqualifiers, and positive element definitions and qualifiers. So, if you could talk about the framework and then about those two areas specifically.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, the, the more that we looked at the, the, the research and the data from the, the pilot studies, um, and Katerina Bulgarella, as I mentioned before, um, developed the framework for us. Um, she was really drawing from her own uh, personal experience within uh, studying ethical culture and within social psychology. Um, and we were able to boil it down to, to five constructs of culture Um, And each of these constructs has a positive and a negative element, and I'll touch on a few of them. I don't think I need to go into all five of them in detail, but I'll touch on maybe three of them, which I think are um, probably the most important, um, with respect to what we're seeing in the data. Um, And the idea of the positive and negative elements, and we call them qualifiers and disqualifiers, is that from a balanced perspective, right, so if you think about uh, the organizational work that so many people do to focus on the ethical leadership or to focus on creating a speak up culture. If you have the, the negatives as being highly prevailing within an organization, it's going to cancel out any of the positive work that you do. So we think of the negative as, you know, let's call them table stakes. So if you're really not yet addressing the negative of what's going on within the organization, um, and I'll say um, a couple examples of organizational unfairness. If you have abusive managers, so people know that there's a lot of bullies running around the organization that should be fired, but no one really wants to fire them because maybe they make a lot of money. Um, Or there's a lot of fear of retaliation within the organization. If you're not addressing the negative sides of what's going on within your culture, then the positive really isn't going to be effective. Um, So you need to focus on the negative and the positive within an organization. And what we find is that most people focus on the positive Um, but they fail to address eliminating the negative elements. Um, So the top three um, culture components, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, the first is social contract. Um, So this is the element that relates to how people um, believe the the interplay of the values within the organization. Um, And the positive element here is organizational trust. Um, Trust really creates for efficient processes and the ability of people to to work together effectively, but also improves ethical behavioral outcomes. And the negative side of that is organizational unfairness. Um, And you can think of this as procedural fairness within an organization, if whether, for example, everyone at the same, at various levels, is treated the same with respect to processes. Um, The second is leadership behavior, Um, somewhat self-explanatory. Perception of ethical leadership and um, really strong tone at the top are obviously important for creating um, ethical outcomes. Um, And the negative side of this is the abusive management behavior. So if people, particularly at the middle manager level, if people perceive that middle managers are being abusive and not um, not interpreting the tone at the top correctly, that's going to have a really strong impact on outcomes. Um, and the final one I'll mention, because it is really important, um, of the five uh, culture components is the response to misconduct. So on the positive side, we have efficacy in speaking out. Um, so speaking up about misbehavior, uh, research has consistently so- shown that most fraud is actually reported internally, um, and it's really difficult for external investigators to understand what's going on within an organization, so that's not surprising. Um, but the speaking up and the ability to speak up really needs to be coupled with the belief that it's, um, it's e- e- there's efficacy to it, so that if you are speaking up, people will actually do something about it. Otherwise, most people will think, well, why bother? Um, and then the negative, the disqualifier elements um, within response to misconduct is, uh, is fear of metali- retaliation. So obviously, if people think that their, their livelihood is at stake, they're really unlikely to speak up within an organization.
0: So can you talk a little bit about some of the key findings of your research um, presented at the OECD conference? Yeah, I'd say, you know, from a a big picture
1: perspective, the the key findings um, relate to this idea that you can really measure culture um, and there are ways to know whether you're working in or leading an ethical culture. You know, that's really what we set out to show with this work, is that it's not as soft as um, or nebulous as some people um, fear that it might be. And there are ways to be able to address how to, how to measure them. Um, so I think that the five elements are the one key factor of what we were able to, to boil down the research to. Um, And then the other thing I would say, too, is that there are certain best practices in in measuring culture. And some of those um, for companies to to keep in mind is that having an external party do culture assessments um, is likely to lead to better uh, or more um, honest responses. Um, And that's, you know, for obvious reasons. If um, if you believe that the information will be kept anonymous or confidential by an external party, Obviously, the findings will be shared with senior management, but having that extra level uh, or extra barrier um, is often protective for employees. Um, and there's also really different measures of culture, and it's important to work with measures that, are being, that have been developed in a scientifically valid way, um, and they're been validated with outcomes that organizations also care about. Um. So the outcomes that, that we were looking at related to um, ethical behavior, ethical decision-making, and employee commitments, um, and so oftentimes, uh, you know, I, I talk to a lot of lawyers within ethics and compliance space who are really interested in ethical culture and want to promote ethical culture within an organization. Um, so I, I, I like to emphasize that um, the idea, you know, as a lawyer myself, and you know, what I've learned in being around, uh, being able to work with a lot of social psychologists, is that it's really important to think about the outcomes and the goals of your culture measurement process um, and choose the right survey methodology and tools in order to facilitate that.
0: So one of the, one of the most fascinating things that I've heard you say so far, and, and you've said a lot of great, great interesting stuff for our audience, but this idea that um, so many companies are doing the positive, they're promoting the ethical leadership as something that's important, they're talking about speaking out, they're talking about organizational trust, but none of that is really going to be effective if they don't deal with the corollary negative. That is um, the uh, abusive management or fear and retaliation in terms of speaking up or organizational unfairness. So how does a company put that into practice, or or how do you talk to companies about putting into practice, not just raising levels of positive awareness and putting in positive practice, but actually um, negating the negative or rooting out the negative factors? How do companies actually do that and put that into practice?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I think that it is important to to focus on that. because that's really in many ways where the, the rubber meets the road. And I think often about you know ethics issues. And having been an ethics officer myself, so many of the ethics issues that um, one deals with relate to HR issues, right? They're about people management. Um, and they're very um, intertwined with the business side of what's going on in an organization. Um, and so it, I think for a lot of companies it gets to be it's really difficult to figure out, well, who are these individuals, and are they people we actually want to keep within an organization, or is there a different value that we want to be able to promote? Um, So I think that, you know, from that perspective, the the negative is just harder to deal with, um, and it's really important to have senior leaders understanding this research and understanding the the potential long-term impact within the organization of not dealing with that downside of what's going on. Um, So it does really take commitments, and it takes, you know, it's never never easy to let someone go. Um, So it is a different level of understanding, but also um, understanding within the context of your own organization where there might be problems. Um, And so usually um, I think it's helpful to have additional data to support whatever those decisions are. Um, and that's why it's really, again, from our perspective, important to do culture measurements um, because it's, without that, it's hard to understand where there might be, um, wh- how this dynamic will play out within your organization and where there might be uh, problems that you hadn't necessarily foreseen. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think in many ways the, the challenge when it comes to the negative side um, is that it's harder to do, and the ethics and compliance function is within a silo, um, and they don't necessarily have access to the levers of change in the ways that they need to, um, and so what we're hopeful to do with this research is to give the ethics community additional tools to be able to use and advocate for what they think is the right thing to do within an organization.
0: So Azish, your your research also talks about what you call employee selection systems, specifically the hiring and firing of employees, and I'm going to throw in there also promotion um, and, and decision making in terms of promoting employees. Can you talk a little bit about how a company's employee selection system and process can affect how the culture grows up within the company and and how it can foster an ethical culture versus um, a permissive or unethical culture.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, So, you you know, in many ways, you know, I, I would not advocate for people to use tests to try to see whether someone is more or less ethical in terms of their own personal values when they're hiring for employees, for example. So I'll just mention that at the outset because I think that that's an idea that um, I, I've certainly heard and I can see the, um, the value of it. But I think that the, the larger point is that the, the context within the organization really matters. Um, so certainly if you know um, through background checks and otherwise that someone has committed a fraud, uh, that's probably not an individual you want to have within your ethical culture. Um, but I think it's really important that from the outset, throughout the recruiting and interview process, you do signal to prospective employees who you are as an organization and what you stand for and what you're looking for. Um, and I think that I, that can have a, a self-selection process or uh, a self-selection um, outcome as part of um, that process within, within hiring. But Serena, I think you really um, touch on a, a really um, important points relating to reward systems. And this idea of rewarding for ethical behavior um, is, is really important um, and also one where I actually think we could do a lot more research and um, working directly with companies to understand you know, what do we mean by rewarding for ethical behavior and how can we identify specific behaviors within the context of um, a specific industry, right? So rewarding for ethics in financial services will probably be really different than in manufacturing. Um, So I can think, for example, manufacturing might reward for people who've taken approaches to safety, uh, because safety culture is really important, Um, whereas in financial services you might want to reward people for having turned away business because they're uh, someone who's uh, known for being affiliated with money laundering, right? So these are just really broad examples. Mm -hmm. But the idea being that uh, we, we need more evidence of what works around internal rewards. Um, But we already do know from the behavioral science research that rewarding for positives can have a big impact on the overall culture and ethics outcomes as well. So I think it's a very important area for, for
0: organizations to focus on. Let's let's talk a little bit about um individual behavior um within a company. I, I've done a lot of speaking both with you and, and um in other areas on this concept of, of wading into the gray where an individual can you know take one small step over a line in, in an area that's not necessarily clear where where um a rule or a regulation or what to do is not necessarily black and white. They take one small step and then the next and the next. And before you know it, that particular individual has really um, gotten themselves into trouble. Um, How can company culture um, protect against that? What can companies do to protect against their employees from taking those small steps that might actually get them into trouble?
1: Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. So the idea of the slippery slope um, is really um, pervasive when when you look at the the ethical behavior and the behavioral science literature. So I think it's really important to think about the the context in which the organization, um, the individual works in in the organization. So um, certainly ethical culture um, and being surrounded by individuals who are more aware of ethics will have a big impact. Um, so, what I mean by that more specifically is that if you're in, a, in an environment where you're not often thinking about ethics as part of your business and you're thinking more about well, I need to get this done because I need to to bring in money or I need to think about the business outcome and the financial incentive is the only frame you put on your day to day work uh, it's really easy to fall into a blind spot and miss the bigger picture of what you're working on and what those outcomes might be. Um, so for, uh, for an organization who wants to help promote this, essay, ethical awareness is really important. Just the idea of talking about ethics, having managers talk about ethics, gets it more on people's minds. So making ethics more salient um, is how um, I would think about it from a social psychology perspective. Um, but the other point, too, is thinking about the opportunities to speak up and doing that in a way that feels safe for employees and before misbehavior happens right having the ability to be able to be in a meeting and think well i'm not really sure what's going on here but i don't know if this is right you know just being able to ask that question to your manager and knowing that you can do that without it hurting your reputation or um, certainly hurting your livelihood uh, is a really important part of creating an environment that will help stop that slippery slope um, and be able to provide support to people who might otherwise get in a situation where they're going down the wrong path. These methods can help you think about those um, potential paths at an earlier stage so that you can avoid outcomes that we really would hope to avoid in the long run.
0: Azish, what can companies do and what can company leadership do to foster a speak-up culture where people do feel comfortable raising both ideas um, and issues and concerns and ethical issues?
1: Great question. So, uh, we're actually starting a a new uh, research initiative. Um, that's starting with a uh, speak up culture assessment, because we think this is such an important area where we do need to have more evidence and more research of what can actually work within an organization. Um, I can say from existing research in, in the literature, psychological safety is really important to be able to foster and promote a speak up culture. So what does that mean for an organization, right? How do you actually boil that down to either the one-on-one conversations employees are having, be it with a colleague or a manager, or the team environments that they're in. How do you create environments that certainly there might be an anonymous hotline that's available, but how do you create this environment that makes it actually more um, relevant from a a team perspective for everyone to be talking about uh, ethics issues within that context before it even gets to the anonymous hotline? Um, So some of the strategies would be ones that we've already touched on a little bit in terms of having your managers talk about ethics so that others, from a signaling perspective, know that ethics and values are important to this company, they're not a side issue, and that they should be raised, and that people feel that they're in a a comfortable environment to do that. Um, And really focusing on this fear of retaliation piece Um, and trying to understand where there might have been instances of retaliation within your organization. So it's really important, again, to work with HR and access HR data around this, which I know in many contexts is really sensitive, but it can't be ignored, because if people perceive that there's been um, someone who's been fired because they raised concerns, it's going to have a a huge dampering effect on the ability for others and the desire for others to speak up within an organization. So I think we're at the the beginning of uh, a big um, area of research that we're hoping to contribute to through our Speak Up culture assessment that will give companies a tool to be able to focus on where within their own organization they might have issues with respect to speaking up um, and those issues relating to kind of more of the social dynamics, right? The social psychology of it, as it relates to their own context. And ideally, with that assessment, they can figure out strategies within their own organization that could help address some of those challenges.
0: That's great. Thank you. Can you can you talk a little bit about training? Uh, training generally. Um, in compliance and ethics and training in anti-harassment and training and civility in the workplace has largely, um, until now, really fallen fallen flat. And some of the research has shown that compliance departments are actually viewed not positively, but negatively, and that improper training can even lend to the problem. Rather than ameliorating a problem, they can actually cause people to think more negatively about the the issues that they're supposed to be being trained on, for example, again, um, anti-harassment issues. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what kind of training is more likely to work and why training thus far has not worked?
1: Yes, no, I think it's uh, a really important topic and one where a lot of companies struggle because the ethics programs often focus on training because we do need to get information out about what the rules are and what our expectations are. Um, but as you mentioned, sometimes they can make things worse. And I think in those instances it's likely because it's out of alignment with everything else going on within the organization with respect to norms, with respect to the formal systems. So if training is the only thing you do when it comes to ethics and you don't focus on your culture and you don't focus on your signaling effects with your more formal systems, so incentives, for example, and how you're rewarding behavior, your training is not going to be effective. Um, So, you know, I do hear the social psychologists will often say, so many companies spend so much money on training, but they have no idea whether their training is working. Um, And so what can you do about that? And the suggestion is to measure the impact of your training, right? To be able to measure both in the near term and over a longer period of time using some of the um, social psychology and social science tools uh, to see whether it's moving the needle within your organization, if people are perceiving things differently. Without those measurements, it's really hard to know whether the training is just another process that people are going through, and they're being cynical about, and they're just clicking through the e-learning, not really absorbing the information. Um, Perhaps the information doesn't actually have anything to do with their job, so it could be actually irrelevant to what they're doing. Um, I think that it's important to really focus on the outcomes. You know, what do you hope to achieve with the training? Develop a way to measure those outcomes. Um, Not always easy, but there are approaches, social science approaches in particular, that organizations can use. Um, and then think about the training that you want to do to help drive those outcomes. So that would be my, my recommendation, kind of start from the, the outcome approach and then move backwards into what is the training that you want to be able to provide to move that needle.
0: Azish, can you talk a little bit about the role of the Board of Directors and of senior management in creating uh, a, a healthy and ethical corporate culture?
1: Yes, absolutely. So. Not surprisingly, senior management has uh, a big role to play in setting priorities within an organization uh, so having ethics and culture just be part of the agenda at board meetings in of itself is a um, is a big is a big win for ethics right um, so having that level having focus at that level in an organization is really important um, and so driving that priority I'd say is the first factor. But um, what should boards do once they do realize that it is a priority and something that they want to work on? Um, And I think there's um, several levels of focus that they can bring to it. Um, From a board perspective, it's, it's an issue of balance, right? You want to be able to set the priority and the strategy for the management without getting involved into the details. But I think you could ask for reports on Certainly, culture measurements that we've talked about. So, asking managers proactively before a scandal, what they, how they would describe their culture, what they've done to measure it, and how they've been able to measure their culture over time, and having that be part of board conversations consistently, I think, is really important. Um, as part of that, I think speak up culture needs to be really emphasized um, and creating the The method, some of which we've already talked about, to um, ensure that there is not this fear of reporting within an organization, I think, is really important. Um, I think that within um, the firm, uh, from the board director board director level as well, um, the idea of diversity, I think, is really important to to bring into this discussion too. Um, so, certainly, demographic diversity is really important. Um, so. By, by which I mean gender race, um, some of the demographic elements that we often think about that are missing within um, m- within many companies, uh, but also viewpoint diversity so having the opportunities for both in the boardroom and the fact that management should be thinking about it within the organization um, for people of a different background, different ideas, different ways of thinking uh, to be able to be effectively integrated within the culture and within Discussions, um, I think, is a really important way to be able to um, guard against ethical failures in the long run.
0: So, Azish, if you had to make a business case for ethical behavior, how would you, how would you do that um, to a com- company leadership? Cause at the end of the day, companies are in the business of whatever it is they're in the business of. They either make cars or they make pharmaceuticals or they're in financial services. They're not in the business of um, of they're not in the business of assuring compliance, even though they have to assure compliance. They're not in the business of making sure that things are ethical, even though they ha- they should be ethical. So, how do you make the business case? to a business person that ethics is the way to go for good business? So
1: usually, you know, so we think about this as ethics pays, right? In the long run, it pays to be ethical. Um, and so when we think about the business case, um, as you mentioned, we think about the financial incentive. You know, why should companies focus on this? Um, and the the research shows that there are three buckets of um, Kind of rationales let's say for why it's important or why it's beneficial to, to focus on ethics and one is reputational risk better reputations have been shown to lower borrowing costs for companies for example um, some companies can charge higher prices if they have a better reputation they also have easier access to capital um, so, the, so certainly on the consumer side but then you can see also on the uh, the financial side, the more direct financial side, having a better reputation can help companies. Um, The second bucket of research is around the fact that ethical conduct is extremely costly. Um, So certainly there's a legal and enforcement penalties, which some might actually argue are not high enough to deter um, unethical behavior. Um, But what the research actually shows on the, the cost side of it is that there is a loss of market value uh, for companies that have been shown to be certainly in scandals, but even those companies, there's one study that's looked at the companies that have been penalized by the DOJ or the SEC for improper financial restatements. They've seen um, a loss on average of about uh, between 35 and 40 percent of market value um, for those financial restatements. So ethical conduct misconduct can be really costly. And uh, the third bucket is that ethical companies are more efficient. Um, And we look at this, too, um, within our research around ethical culture when we look at employee commitments. Um, Employees, it's been shown, are more committed to the organization when the organization is more ethical. Um, And the commitment can, of course, improve productivity. But it also reduces employee turnover. um, And retaining and recruiting employees tends to be a big cost of business from, from the people side of it. So, you know, one of the debates that I often get into with with people in organizations is whether we need to make the business case for ethics, right? Does it matter if it affects the financial bottom line, um, or should people do it because it's the, the ethical case for ethics, is the right thing to do? Um, and I think it's important to have the financial performance numbers, and we have seen benefits to being ethical, so that's very promising. But, of course, we want to keep in mind, too, that there is the ethics case for ethics in the long run as well.
0: Thanks. Um, I wanted to, you to talk and maybe end a little bit on the um, the culture assessment model. You at Ethical systems have, systems have created this culture assessment model, and if my understanding is correct, you you actually offer that to companies in that you will come in and help a company assess their current culture and and make it more ethical. See whether it is ethical and make sure it becomes more ethical. Can you talk a little bit about what your offering is in terms of the culture assessment model for companies?
1: Um, yes, absolutely. So we, we have this framework and it was important for us to do uh, the, the two pilot studies to develop the framework, but really we want to be able to uh, work with more companies to help bring this framework out into, um, into businesses. As I mentioned earlier, our mission is to build bridges between the academic community and the business community and find opportunities for researchers to work directly within organizations. Um, and we think this is valuable on two fronts. Um, for the organizations, um, we think they'll be getting access to the best of the social and behavioral science research on, on ethical culture. Um, And for the academic and research community, um, the opportunity to be able to to study culture and improve the research on what really actually helps move the needle on ethics and behavior and culture within the organization will be extremely valuable as a public good. It will help not only that one company, but it will help the entire ecosystem understand what works with respect to ethics and behavior. So um, we do culture assessments for organizations using this framework um, and can provide a a report of what the results are so that they can better understand uh, where they might have issues. Um, We'll actually come in and and, and run the survey um, and talk with the companies about what our assessment is and where the opportunities are, Um, and if um, there's opportunities for us to do further behavioral science interventions um, and try to test what some of those Um, interventions could be within the context of your company, Um, we're also really thrilled to be able to explore that option.
0: So, Azish, I I want to thank you for your time today, and and I just want to ask you one final question, which is how does it look? Are are companies becoming more ethical? Are Are they buying into the fact that an ethical culture, like good ethics and good culture is good business? I hope so, but I'd love to hear what the research is saying. Um, I'm optimistic personally. Um,
1: I think that there has been um, even, you know, I've been with organization for two and a half years now. So um, this year in particular, I've seen um, a lot of interest in, in this work and this space. I think the OECD award is you know, one, um, one demonstration of that, but I do think that there is more attention being um, given to the, the role that culture plays, the importance of ethics, um, and I'm hopeful that we can partner with organizations to, to add some more of the research here so we can demonstrate that it really is of long-term value for companies.
0: Well, Azish, I want to thank you, and I want to thank Ethical Systems so much for lending you to us for the, for the afternoon. And uh, on behalf of Rain, uh, thanks for your time today. Yes, thank you so much for your
1: interest in ethical culture and the opportunity to, to connect with your network as well.